Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Welcome back to Inside Out. I am really excited to share with you today's guest. She is one hell of a woman. She is magnetic in energy and you are going to love this episode. Today's guest is Shona Gates. She's a mum of three from Australia, self-proclaimed badass, wine lover and authenticity ambassador. Shona is passionate about helping mums overcome their limiting beliefs about money, totally transform their money mindset and uncomplicate their finances, giving them all the tools and support to empower mums who want to learn how to manifest wealth without all the fluff. She is a coach, speaker and author of an incredible book, called Goodbye Money Guilt. And I just want to read the little blurb on the back because I feel like this will resonate with so many of you. And I'll also put this book in the show notes of today's episode. You can have all the investments in place to retire on a pretty paycheck and yet be terrified to open your electricity bill. Your relationship with money has nothing to do with what you earn or how much you save. Your relationship with money, your money blueprint, the way you interact, view and feel about money, that's what's running the show. And if you can improve your relationship with money, you can totally transform the way you earn, save, spend and even attract money into your life. This episode is very powerful and Shona goes into all things money, mindset and manifesting while you orgasm. Yes, you did hear that right. So stay I hope you enjoy today's episode with Shona. Shona, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you here and learn some new tips and tricks surrounding money, mindset, manifestation, all the things. All the things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I'm excited to get stuck into this conversation. But before we dive into your work and what your mission is, I would love to get a bit of a backstory on you, where you're from, and just what your life looks like at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm a mum of three in the Barossa Valley in South Australia. So it's it's a, not like a country town in like there's one pub and that's it. But it, there's, a, there's a few more shops than that. But it's still very country in terms of its attitude and its community and its mindset and everything. So even though I'm an hour from the city, it doesn't seem like it's the middle of the outback, but I still say I'm a little country girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I have three kids. I am a serial entrepreneur. So I've started many businesses over the years, run lots of different types of companies in different industries. And that's kind of where I realized I was never going to be able to work for someone. I'm either the boss or I have to be my own boss. There's, those are the only two options for me. I don't do very well in a situation where I can see a solution and I'm not allowed to actually fix it or I don't have the power to fix it. So working for myself is really good because I can just do whatever I want whenever I want. And if I want to change directions at 4am on a Tuesday night, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm definitely the same. I do not like working for anyone else. It was, you know, in school authority issues, they like to label me as, but you know what? I just like being my own boss. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just diving into the work side of things, you, outside of the mum title, obviously, you are self-proclaimed badass wine lover and authenticity ambassador who is on a mission to support women manifest a life of wealth and abundance. 
Yeah. About that. <laughs> <laughs> so I live in the Brosa, which is wine country. So hence the serious love of wine. You, you literally grow up around it. And I think when other kids are going to crash parties or they're going to the town in like clubbing and stuff, we were at friends, parents, wineries, and we were drinking <laughs> the really good wine. So yeah, wine's definitely a big part of my life. And I used to work for a nutrition brand where that was very much like, you can't talk about that. You're not allowed to promote any alcohol or any like, and I felt very squashed and suffocated. So when I started running my own brands and stepping more into that space, being open about how much coffee and wine I drink, being open about the fact that I love sex and I say fuck to way too much. That was definitely a big part of it. And I think that's where the authenticity ambassador, like encouraging women to just be themselves, to not be the professional, perfect, shiny version that they think they need to be. Most of my clients come to me and they book me because they're like, I love that you swear. I love that I'm not going to feel bad by sending this through at two o'clock in the morning because I know you're awake drinking wine and working like, yeah. So my dream clients came to me because of my potty mouth and my love of wine. Love that. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I, I'm certainly exactly the same and I feel like we probably align really, really well because I love wine. Coffee runs through my veins. I've probably had 12 today, 12 shots of coffee. That's a lot for, for a gal. But yeah. That's not a lot for me. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think I've drank more coffee than water today. But anyway, um, yeah, I just love everything that you're about. So talk to me about, you know, obviously you're attracting the clients that you, that you want and that align really well with your lifestyle. Talk to me about what you do every day in terms of your work. Yeah. So I, at the moment I have two brands kind of running from Sexy Selfish. I was, when Sexy Selfish started, I was being running a nutrition distributing company through MLM with a team of 200 women. I was running a spray tanning company, which I ran for eight years. So doing spray tans and um, doing things like that, doing mobile spray tanning for weddings. And then I was running Sexy Selfish, which is really business coaching. Over the years that morphed into this conversation around money. That was just the most purposeful conversation for me and what I'm the most excited to share about. So really this money consulting, money coaching, money mindset work with women. And then now I've stepped into the digital design space. So actually creating courses and workbook materials for women that have the course and have the idea, have the business in their head and just struggle with getting it all out and making it all look good together. So I'm kind of handing uh, doing a lot more hands-on work with that. So my business is Sexy Selfish. While it's under one banner, it's really split at the moment into time working with design clients, time working with money mindset coaching clients. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot at once and it's hard to navigate. And I wish I could put it together in some lovely little sentence that um, wraps it all up. But I think the best explanation is what I do is a little bit of everything and what I'm called to do. And as long as I'm being creative and as long as I'm helping people, that's what works for me. Mm, that's so interesting how many hats you're wearing in just one day's work. You know, you don't seem to just have one lane that you, ha- that you have to stick in or I imagine your to-do list is so all over the place and you go from this hat to the next hat and then, you, of course, you've got the mum hat to throw on in the mix there too. Yeah. Really hard to find some balance. And I used to always think that that was a problem, like that, it, that was something wrong, like I needed to just stick to one thing, just focus on one thing. And what I found is when I was just trying to focus on one thing, I was uninspired. I was bored. I was a little bit frustrated. I felt like I was forcing myself to do it. But if I've got multiple plates in the air, I seem to be able to keep them spinning better than if I just have one. And then later in life realizing, oh yes, all my children diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, And that's probably from somewhere. Oh yeah, that's from me. So actually realizing that that doing multiple things at once 
having all these different things on the go, having music playing and four different screens up on my computer is actually how my brain works mm-hmm. best. Yeah, I like that. And just detaching the notion, I suppose, or the narrative that I I think over time we we have this deep-seated belief that we can only do one thing and that careers are constructed of one simple thing to do or whatever of whatever that is and if especially if you are running a business where well, you only have one you can could not possibly have more than one business at a time and that's just you know been ingrained to us and conditioned to us have you had any cultural or societal um sorry constructions over time that you feel like have drawn this part of you out Oh, so many, so many. It's it's definitely the thing. I always wanted to run business. I always wanted to be a woman who had her own clients and ran her own schedule. And mm. um, definitely I met my husband, went to university, took the stable, safe job because that was the thing that you do. And then so when maternity leave hit, um, I was the main breadwinner and I went back to him. He was <laughs> making the money while I was on maternity leave and he is, our mortgage was $25 more than he made a week. So that was forced very quickly into this, like, okay, I have this excuse. I have a reason now to follow all these dreams and ideas. And, and I did, and it's got us where we are today, but it's definitely being a woman talking so openly in this space is you're definitely opening yourself up for criticism, for judgment, for people to not like, not even the fact they don't like what you're saying, but they don't like the fact that you are saying it. And then we add in, I'm a woman that talks openly, a woman that talks openly about money, which is super triggering for so many people. And then I'm a woman who talks openly about money and manifesting through your orgasm. So it's like, it's, it's a whole thing. People don't, <laughs> people don't like it. That like people are feeling. Yeah. yeah. Look, I imagine that there are more people that do like it than the ones that don't. And that's who matters. Like the one I think that- everyone secretly likes it. People get really triggered about it and pretend they don't like it. And then I see that they're the most, my most listened on my podcast episodes that they've visited the website site the most amount of time. So, you know, it's always the people are like, you can't say that you can't be so Mm. Uh, you know yourself and I definitely lost friends and stuff along the way for being so outspoken like it's not an easy path to travel being a woman in business today Mm. because so much of your brand comes from you too absolutely they you know I feel like for us to create this authentic profile if we're going to create a brand that is ourselves and have that and be able to harness that power in our business being our own personal brand we have to share so much of us to attract like-minded women, whereas I don't feel like men with a personal brand or men creating a business are doing, having to do that. Like, you know, there's no bloke standing there talking about sex with their wives and that attracts more blokes to come to their business. But when we talk about our relationships with our husbands or our births or our pregnancies in, in creating a personal brand, it attracts women are like, oh, I did that too. Let's talk about that or I want to hear more. So yeah. it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? And there's this feeling that we're just pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out all the time to our kids, to our family, to our husbands, to our partners. And then in our business as well, we're constantly pouring it out and letting people in and seeing all the parts of us. And it can get really draining. And I think it certainly leads to burnout a lot faster and there is this point where you suddenly just don't feel like being as seen sometimes I think it gets to that point yeah I actually have just been off Instagram for a couple of days I'm just doing a little detox this week I put something up um I've been learning a lot about the seven different ways of burnout and social media is, is a way that you can burn yourself out and I feel like I was doing that and I feel like I was putting a lot of energy and time into a social media platform that isn't my podcast and isn't my personal brand and doesn't make me money. Like I'm just, I'm there for a presence and to connect and 
and be there for women and support people. And I feel like I was, my DMs were getting flooded and I just was always on my phone supporting people in this online space, but I wasn't here protecting my energy and protecting my boundaries. Yeah. So I've just taken a bit of a break and I'm just trying to set some things into play actually now to make sure that that doesn't happen again, because I just didn't even want it anymore. Like I felt like shutting down the account and that's not what I truly want. I know that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We I think do- we've all got to that point. Yeah. I certainly have. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to know, I have some deep seated beliefs that I know are from, passed down through generations. I remember an experience when I was 18, I had a couple of personal debts because I'd got, gone and got a $2,000 credit card and then I'd gone and got a, um, a treadmill, <laughs> that I'd paid, <laughs> a loan for a treadmill. I was paying that off or whatever. And then I went and got a brand new car and I went and had it financed. And I remember I went to my pops to show him and he sat, sat me down and he just absolutely abused me. And he was like, I am disgusted in you you know, this is the worst possible decision for your future. It's just a brand new car. Like I'll pay it off over seven years. Like it's cool. I was excited and I've always carried shame surrounding money and making big purchases. And I'm not a tight ass whatsoever, but I'm definitely conscious of my spendings and I worry about money, even though money isn't an issue for for me. Um, I'm very fortunate and privileged to be in that position, but it isn't an issue. So did you personally have experiences from your childhood, from your teenage years, where you had these limiting beliefs surrounding money and and the mindset that goes along with that? Yeah, absolutely. Like I literally wrote a whole book about it, um, which was an interesting thing when my parents were like, can we read your book? And I'm like, be warned, I'm not nice about you in here. Um, But yeah, so my parents were actually quite well off. My dad had a really well-paying job and he worked extra job. He had really great hours. He would work four days on and four days off. So he was home and present with us a lot. He had money for his hobbies. And looking back, I can see all this, but I literally thought we were poverty line broke. And we weren't. We lived in a great town. My parents paid off their house. We had two cars. We had a boat. We had a holiday home. And even having all that, I thought we were broke. I I thought we had no money for anything. I would not ask for Christmas presents. I wouldn't ask for dance classes that I wanted to do because I thought we had no money because my parents' relationship with money, even though they had everything, was so toxic. Mm -hmm. So my mom, I love her, and she taught me so much about budgeting and so many of the lessons I have from her about money were positive, but the overarching theme was there's not enough. Every time you spend money, it is bad. Anytime you spend money on something you want, it feels good for a moment and then it will like bite you in the ass forever. Save everything for a rainy day. Debt is the devil. Women are no good with money or you have to be so strict. If you blow out your budget, that means you're a horrible person. Like all this, so many, so many stories I had growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I did the same thing. I saved every cent I ever made working summer jobs and things like that. And when I was nine, no, it must have been 18, I went out and I bought another car because I was managing three different optical stores. That was my job. I was running like a regional company at 18 and people already thought I was this young girl driving this piece of shit. Was it Mazda 121 bubble? And I was like, no, I need a nice car to match my nice new company, to match everything. So I went out and spent $15,000 of money I'd saved on a car and my bank account went from $15,000 to like two grand and I panicked and the guilt and the shame. I actually went out and got blackout drunk with my husband. <laughs> it was my boyfriend back then. Black, Cause I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with releasing the money. I felt so much shame and guilt, even though I should have been really excited and proud of myself for making that step. Mm. It was so much shame and guilt. So yeah, when I say I have a fucked up relationship with money, like 
super, super fucked up to the point I would have, I had money to pay all my bills and all of my savings. And yet I acted like a broke, terrible woman. Like I didn't have enough money to afford groceries all the time. It was just this drama that I created in my head and this story that wasn't serving me. So Yeah, when I started to change my money mindset, because I recognized this pattern kept coming back to the same place. Even if I made $50,000 in my business in one month or I made $50 in business one month, the way I felt about money didn't change. The amount of money in my bank account wasn't changing how I was feeling yeah. about money. Yeah. And I kind of had that moment of like, I this isn't working. Just having a new budget system isn't working. Just figuring out you know, reading the books about investing isn't working. There's something deeper here that I need to fix first before the rest of it's going to work. And that's kind of what started everything. So what did redesigning these beliefs look like going deeper into that? Can you explore that with us? Yeah, a slow process, to be honest. Lots of tears, too many bottles of wine. Um, <laughs> and I think everyone, no one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to hear it. It was like, these, it's these five magic affirmations or it was this one book that I read that changed everything and I never had to worry about money again. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's a constantly evolving process. I still have limiting beliefs come up around money all the time. This week even something popped up and my husband was like, uh, 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 you need to, we need to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it started with asking myself really, where did when was the first time I thought that about money what was my first experience with money it was watching my mum pay bills it was having the the month discussions about pocket money and how money came from hard work it didn't just come and recognizing all those things and calling awareness to my thoughts so every time I paid a bill and then started to panic was asking myself wait why am I panicking is this true? Do we not have enough money or will I be paid on Thursday? Like it was just this radical honesty with myself. And of course, all the affirmations and journaling and money mindset meditations and all the things that went along with it. But the core thing was radical honesty with myself about the subconscious thoughts playing and actually paying attention to my money checking in with my money every day and paying attention to it because I was really neglectful, I think. I was obsessive about it, but in the same sense, neglectful and didn't want to look at it. Like somehow looking at the money would make it disappear faster out of my life. So I was just like, Mm -hmm. just don't pay attention to it. So one of the biggest things for me was waking up every day with my morning coffee and checking my bank account and forcing myself to pay attention to my money in a really, in a way that I could express gratitude for what I did have, even when it wasn't a lot. Mm. Like there was a point where my bank accounts were in minus figures. Now the majority of them have $20,000 plus in it, which is really great, but it started with nothing. Yeah. I feel like for me, I also had very a similar story, I suppose, with, with money and mindset surrounding money. But then it's sort of like um, body image and things because I went from one scale of, you know, dieting and that lifestyle choice of being chicken and broccoli and, you know, living that lifestyle to binge eating when I suddenly get like this moment of joy and that would bring me joy. Like with money, I'll binge spend, I'll get a lump sum and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to shout everyone, you get a car, you get a car, that sort of thing. And I will overindulge in either spending it on myself and then I'll carry guilt surrounding that, whatever friggin' thing I've gone and bought. Um, I bought a new car today and I'm stoked. We need a bigger car. I've got heaps of kids. It's it's full on. They're getting older. No one's getting smaller. Everyone's growing. There's just not enough space. I bought a new car and I am freaking out because I bought a new car that I haven't even paid for. It's so, like just 
you know, I'm not even worried about it. It doesn't come for four months, but yet I'm sitting here and I've got this feeling while we're talking about this. I'm like, well, I've just bought a new car. I probably shouldn't have bought the car. Did I need the car? Could I have waited? Is there a better way I could have done this? And it's the head fuck that comes with it. With anything that you spend, like it's almost like I've overindulged or like I've binge eaten. That's how that yeah. comes in, you know? Yeah. I wrote a blog a few years ago about this actually, because I've like gone through eating disorder treatment, stuff battle with anorexia for the last 20 years. Mm. And it was that budgets and binging, like budgets and diets are the same thing. Anytime we try to like super restrict on something, we have this guilt and shame around anytime we let ourselves enjoy something. And then all it does is just perpetuate that cycle deeper and deeper into negativity. And we restrict even further and further and our binges become even bigger and bigger. And so the only reason, the only way to deal with that is to actually let yourself indulge, like to remove the rules, to remove the restrictions. And that's why I don't think, I think people, the first step people take when they're like, I'm going to handle my money shit and they dive into a budget. And I'm like, it's just like a crash diet. Mm. it's not going to work. It's going to temporarily make you feel okay for a couple of days when you feel like you've got control and you can make it happen, mm. but it won't last. Um, and yeah, that guilt from spending is a really tricky one mm. <laughs> and it can be quite overwhelming and crushing for us. And that's something I deal with a lot with my clients because it's always complicated for each person, that belief system that comes from somewhere could be our parents, could be media, could be society, whatever it is that said you shouldn't have spent that. Mm, your need, your wants should be this and your needs should be this. And anytime you spend money on your wants instead of your needs, you're a bad person. And it's really, it's just all bullshit. It's just all made up bullshit. Absolutely. And even the attachment that we seem to have with, you know, to be successful, you're successful when you're driving this car with this badge on it, or you're successful when you own a home and you or you're successful when you're debt free. All of these uh, constructions that we've that been built up through society and then conditioned to us, it's kind of like, well, success is whatever the fuck you make it and what how you feel and what you want and what your desires are. And if owning a home isn't in your lane of desires or a priority to you and you want to live freely and not have that, I have to sell my house if I want to move somewhere or that sort of thing. I mean, at the moment, things are different with the whole COVID thing and borders and whatever. There's not a lot of, I don't think, interstate moves going on. But I think that detaching that notion that success equals something in particular is really, really important. Yeah, we spent a lot of time in my course, um, Abundant as Fuck, talking about that, recognizing that your priorities are different to someone else's and that that's okay. Not everyone should have the same priorities. Some people value private school and they will spend more money on private school and they'll drive a secondhand car. Whereas someone like me values driving a hot as fuck car. I love my Jeep Wrangler. That's my baby. And <laughs> I have a large punt portion of my monthly budget is dedicated to sex toys right but other people are going to look at that and be like you should be putting that into your life insurance or your super but it's just realizing no I don't have to do that Karen I don't have to do that mum just because you valued that doesn't mean I have to value that and debt as well we have a lot of people that see debt as this horrible bad thing but debt is just a choice it is just a choice to pay something off over time rather than up front that is so what is consider healthy versus unhealthy debt I don't have a firm and fast rule on this because everyone else is so different. Like they tell us you shouldn't spend, you shouldn't accrue debt for plastic surgery or trips to Thailand. What if you went to Thailand and met the love of your life? What if that plastic surgery gave you the confidence to finally live your life and get the job that you really wanted? Like I think to define good and bad debt is really tricky like that. I just think an informed choice and honesty with yourself about why you want something. Because we know when we purchase something or we decide to 
invest in something. We might form an emotional connection first mm-hmm. and then we find logical answers to pack it up. Um, yeah. This was such a bone of contention in my marriage because my <laughs> husband would always be like, but we need this. And I'm like, no, no, we don't. You want it. And that's okay. Just admit that you want it. I have no problem with getting it. Just be honest about it. Yeah, it's interesting because for me to say that out loud, like example, I want to go and spend $2,000 on this handbag because I want it. I physically wouldn't go and spend it. But if it was $2,000 on something that was a need, no problem. I wouldn't hesitate. It's interesting how you've just touched on that because that's something that I do every single day. Or if it's for the children, if it's going and spending 200 bucks on the kids clothes, no problem. They need new clothes, whatever, or they wanted new clothes, whatever. But if it's for me and me personally, I don't have that self, I guess I, I would consider that selfish of myself to go and invest that on myself if I didn't need it. Yeah. But is that really true? Like that's where you have to ask yourself and question yourself. Why do I think it's selfish? Is it because everyone's told me it's selfish? Is it because I'm actually in inherently being selfish like this? Am I punishing other people by making this choice for myself? And it comes up all the time. It's not just around money. I've got my 30th birthday on Saturday night and we're going out for this big event and I wanted the kids to be there, but it's going to be 10 degrees. It's outside. And one of my kids isn't well. So my mother-in-law is like, I'll have the kids. And I started to feel guilty straight away because I'm like, no, I should have my kids there. And Aaron's like, my husband, he's like, why? What do you think it means about you as a mother if your kids aren't there? It's like, well, obviously it means I'm a horrible mom and I'm a bad mom and I'm going out partying because I'm this young, crazy mother. And he's like, don't be a twit. It's going to be cold. It'll be late. The kids are going to be miserable. They can't play anywhere. They're going to be stuck on the phones. Just let them have a sleepover at grandma's and you enjoy your night without the shame. So it's these type of conversations that you need to have. And suddenly like you get faster at it. You stop dwelling on it for days and suddenly it takes two minutes instead of two hours of going, oh no, I'm a horrible person. That's so funny. My 30th is, will literally be this weekend next year, actually, Um, which is funny and it will be cold. It will be freezing. And I've already said to my husband, I am not having any children there. So we need to work out how to get rid of them for a while. (laughs) It is going to be huge. (laughs) So do not feel bad because I'm not feeling bad about next year. I've already planned it. (laughs) But it's yeah, like this, this thought came up and I usually think I'm a pretty developed onto person, but this thought came up and yeah, I had to remind myself like, why do I think that this makes, what, what is the story or the narrative I'm creating about this that it means about? me when it doesn't maybe I'm a good mum because I'm letting them stay inside in the warm watching Toy Story why I go and get white girl wasted they will not want to go they will not have fun they will be so bored we had a friend's wedding a little while ago and my stepdaughters were so excited they had got dresses and put makeup on and you know the whole works and what they didn't realize is that you just stood there and you waited for the first couple of hours and then you sit there and you waited for the next couple of hours. There is no fun for them. There was no playground. They're like, this is crap and we're never coming to another wedding. And I was like, that is so fun. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, so funny. But I wanted to touch on, you just mentioned it in there a little bit, but you work with many different women and I imagine mums from all different walks of life. So that would put them in all different seasons of life too. What are some common themes that you see in women surrounding their limiting beliefs? Uh, A lot about the ones we've actually touched on so far about their attitude towards debt or they're like, I should be debt free or I should be working towards a mortgage or I should be trying to pay off everything. Um, So that's kind of like the common attitude the women, when I work with them, come into that. They're like, oh, I need to get better at managing my money. I need to reduce my debt. And I'm just like, do you though, is that going to fix the problem or are we just going to end up back in debt or are we still going to have guilt and shame around money no matter how much debt we've paid off, right? 
Um, and I can say that having been in a lot of debt over my life and now being the only debt we have is our mortgage. Um, and it doesn't feel any different. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't mean anything. I'm not a morally better person because I got rid of my credit card debt. You know, it doesn't actually mean anything. So we spent a lot of time kind of reworking through those beliefs. Um, and then a lot of the other stuff is around the, the inherent belief that money is not like wealthy people are not good people. So as women, we want to be successful and we're saying, I'm a money-making badass and I'm going to make six figures in my business and I'm going to do all this amazing stuff. But deep down inside, we're judging other women for having wealth. We think that the more wealthy we are, the worse mum will become. We won't have time with our family. We won't have time with our kids. That somehow it will morally take something away from us and we'll become those evil, evil, greedy Regina Georges that we grew up watching. So a lot of the time spent kind of reworking that relationship to realise that money is a tool and a resource and it doesn't mean you're good or bad. It's not inherently evil and it will just take the best parts of you and make them, it will amplify them. Mm-hmm. It won't turn you into another person. Yeah, I love that so much. I definitely have noticed over the years and I'm very self-aware of it now when something comes out, rolls off the tongue or I say something and it's quite judgmental. I'm like, whoa, Carissa, pull yourself up. Like that's not okay to speak about that person because they're more successful than you. And I'm very aware of how that triggers me or why I'm pissed off about that or why that I'm envious of that. And I'm like, no, I actually really like her car. I wish I had her car and she's doing really well. How she got it is none of my business. Like, you know what I mean? They've it's high school drama that we're brought into our adult lives. And now when anyone's doing better than us, sometimes as women too, because we can be bitchy and gossipy. We don't, we're not, we don't intentionally, I don't think tear people doing more than us down, but it's the passing comments. It's the toxic positivity. It's so ingrained in us that she's prettier than me. So she must be a bitch. Oh, she got the guy. So she's, and evil, you know, whatever. It is so ingrained in us by everything because it's an easy narrative to understand through media, through movies, through just general society. It's easy to make the pretty girl the bad guy. It's easy to make the wealthy person the evil villain. It's just easy and they keep doing it over and over again, even though it doesn't, it's not really serving us, Mm. but it's an easy narrative to understand. So they just keep repeating it and we keep gobbling it up and then regurgitating it out without even realizing what we're doing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's so crazy. So just touching on also that you support women overcoming things, not only limiting beliefs that we've just talked about, but self-sabotage and imposter syndrome. Can you share firstly how you do that? And then secondly, what that sort of looks like when they're coming to you with these problems or maybe. The I think I just subliminally want to put myself in their pocket of their brain that when they do something self-sabotaging, they picture me going like, ah, no, <laughs> stop, stop to lies absolute lies stop it you're being a twit put your big girl panties on and let's go and I think that that's my goal in life to be the little person on the shoulder just saying like stop being a dickhead you're amazing and you got this and like leave it alone be gentle with yourself so yeah I don't have like I don't have a specific system for it I think I'm very much that generator personality type so when someone asks a question or comes with a solution I'm there to give the answer but to just kind of create something out of thin air is not my yeah and you don't have genius like- zone 
step sort of program. No, because it's so individual for every single person. Every single person has different experiences with what they've lived up until this moment, has different parents, has different blueprints, has different symptoms. And there's certain things that I work with a wealth personality profile, which helps a lot of people. So four different wealthy personality types, the way that they interact with money, the way that they make decisions and choices. And so we kind of go through that and that's really helpful to help someone see what their personality profile is to help them understand that there are different ones. So there might be a reason why you think your husband's mad for wanting to buy a boat when there's still credit card debt to pay off and why he thinks you're mad for not buying a boat because you could die tomorrow, right? (laughs) We all think and act in these different ways. So the wealth personality profiles kind of helps us yeah realize there's more than just one way to look at things realize your strengths and weaknesses and opportunities to grow not only individually but together so that's really important too how do we find that that is on the link in my instagram bio you can download all the information there um i do go into it a lot deeper in like my memberships and working with people one-on-one but there is an overview for everyone in there and basically download it and see which one resonates the most with you Amazing. And you also talk quite often about manifestation. So big topic, I know, but can you firstly give us a a little bit of a rundown? What is manifesting and how do you manifest and how do you manifest wealth? Like you can't, you literally, everyone says, I think about money, money will come. Like that's a statement that I'm hearing a lot now, but I'm kind of like, well, if if that was how it worked, everyone would be doing it and we'd all be rich, but it's not how it works. So can you break that down a little bit? It's not how it works, um, but it also is how it works. So manifestation is something I've played with throughout my entire life um, down to, yeah, like manifesting and vision boarding that I wanted my belly button pierced my 14th birthday, manifested my husband, manifested my car, this house, like all everything I do. But it really just comes down to intentionally setting a goal and then acting as if it's already happened. That's kind of how the the crux of it, you can do as many courses and read as many books as you want, but it's always going to come back to those same things, having super clear intention on what you want. So like, not just, I want a new car. I want the Jeep Wrangler from 2013. I want it petrol. I want it with the extra speaker in the back and the certain seats. And I want the soft top and the hard top to come with it. And these rims, and I want it to have 86,000 kilometers, like super specific goals. And then acting as if it's already happened. That's really, that's the hard step. That's where people get tripped up on it because they're like, I'm going to manifest a million dollars and they're still buying black and gold cheese from Coles, right? <laughs> yeah. Which t- tastes like chalk, dirt, ass, <laughs> whatever. It's not great. So then we're saying like, I'm going to manifest everything. I'm manifesting a million dollars, but then you're not acting like you actually believe it's going to happen. So that's where I think people get caught up. So it's that living the best version of you now even before you're, it's that you got to feel it first and then the manifestation happens. But everyone tries to manifest and they're like, I'll feel better. I'll feel more successful. I'll feel better with my money once I've got lots of money. And the point is, no, you have to feel better with your money first, then the money will come. And that would be the, the back end, the mindset stuff to feel yeah. better surrounding your, your, yeah. surrounding your money relationship. And is it as simple as writing down, I want to earn six figures in my online business in the next 12 months and then writing that down and putting it on a vision board? Like, does it get that simple or not? It does. I have like multiple vision boards around my home, but it's, it's not so much like I want to or I will have. It's I am a six-figure entrepreneur and I do it this way because I love what I do and I help clients. And it's really creating such an uh, emotional 
feeling and response to that goal and creating such clear images in your head where you almost feel like you've already achieved it, even just writing it down. Hmm. And so that's what's so powerful. When you can write it down and start to experience those feelings and see the images so clearly in your head and you get to this point where you're just like, I just know this is for me. There is no way I'm not going to achieve this. I see it so clearly. I'm just like, you wouldn't be able to see it so clearly Mm. and it wouldn't be a desire in your heart if it wasn't meant for you. Oof, that is powerful. And so good. I need some vision boards. It's been a to-do thing for like five years and I just never have done it. Yeah, so I, I have vision boards. I have one like here, there's two in my bathroom and I've always, I've ticked off every single thing on every single vision board. And I, it's kind of subliminal. So they go up and it's not like I'm consciously looking at it every day, like mm, focusing on that, focusing on that. Like it's just in the background. And then eventually you look at it and go, oh yeah, like tick, tick, tick. That's all done. Oh, what next? And then you reset new goals. So cool. I have a whole nother book coming out later this year called Hello Abundance, which is going to focus more less on the money, subconscious limiting belief stuff and more on the here's how to do a vision board. Here's the right crystals to use. Here's how to sage cleanse your purse. Like here's all that type of stuff. So I feel like that's going to be really good. That is insane. How exciting. and Congratulations. Thanks. Has it been sort of like a work in progress for years and years or you just went one day, ding, this is what the world needs, I'm going to do Yeah, well, I was always going to write a book and I wrote my first book, Goodbye Money Guilt, while I was on maternity leave from my third baby and he slept lots during the day. So I just smashed out this book in a couple of months and it went and got published and this next one's been a lot harder because this little little turd is now nearly two and he is a (laughs) hurricane. So it's been a lot harder to actually get done but the first final draft's gone off to the publisher this week so yeah hopefully before Christmas we get things happening it's exciting I feel like some of the greatest ideas and the greatest businesses books all those sorts of things have been created while a woman is on maternity leave because she finally has time to think yeah it is I say to my husband all the time, like I know that men have so many more inherent privileges than we do, but the one privilege that I'm very aware of is maternity leave. Mm. That one gap of time where, yeah, you're a mum and yeah, shit's messy and you're figuring it all out, but it's the first time you get at least 18 weeks where you have that opportunity to dream of something else. Like mm. my husband's never had, well, actually he did. I retired him for a little bit a few years ago, but most people's husbands have never had that opportunity to kind of have that space to breathe and think about what they really want. Yes, absolutely. I like that perspective. I think that's a really healthy and positive way to look at maternity leave. I know with my son, Jesse, when I first took that gap in work and I was feeling so purposeless and undriven and I just lacked so much motivation and it left me feeling like I didn't really know who I was and what I was here to be or who to be here in this, in this world. And after that, over time, I was finally able to construct, well, hold on, I have a message and I have a mission and I'm going to go and start a podcast and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to build a personal brand. I'm going to work on all these things to get where I want to be. So it was that space, that healthy, quiet space that I was allowed to finally just breathe and go, whoa, the busyness has slowed down. I can figure out who I'm here to be, which is really cool. It is. It's awesome. And like my, my first business started from maternity leave when I was just like, I can't afford childcare. It was gonna, I was going to work full time and he was going to go daycare full time. I was going to come back with $22 at a four, in a fortnight. 
because travel costs and everything for me back then, this is 10 years ago. And so I just went, no, it's not worth it. So my first business, the tanning company came out of financial need. It was like, I need to do something to make money. I can do this from home. It wasn't like a super passionate thing, but I grew to love it and it stayed for eight years. And I love my clients so much. When I closed the tanning company, we moved to this new house and I miss all my clients so much. I'm like, oh, I miss you. I miss seeing you for Christmas, nude in my laundry while spray tanning you every Christmas. It's just this weird thing. Um, <laughs> but then now have the freedom to my businesses now are created instead of out of financial need, out of a creative need. Like I have this thing inside of me that I have to get out and speak about and share and do and create. And that's now the place where my companies come from. So that's exciting to be um, able to do that too. That's so cool. I've got one more question before we go because I feel like you are going to have a really good answer. But what are your go-to self-care practices that you do each day to cultivate abundance? (laughs) Um, My biggest self-care practice, if I'm being super honest right now, it's, it's, it's sex. Yeah. Sex is self-care for me. I know for a lot of women, they don't, they need to feel connected to the other person before they can actually engage in that. Whereas for me, it's like, it's, it's a connecting grounding experience in itself. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of sex. (laughs) Um, That's an important part of our, our life, I think. And it is, it's a very grounding thing. And because my husband gets to work from home sometimes too, there'll definitely be some like, lunchtime um (laughs) scheduled (laughs) situation but yeah I think that that's a really grounding stress release full I've meditated I've gone for runs I've done all the things but that's still the one thing I come back to with consistency that is just yeah feels good it brings me back into my body it calms and centers me and yeah that's what I do He's not complaining. complaining. I definitely can't imagine he would be complaining about that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I do teach on orgasmic manifestation too, which I think is always fun for people to learn about because that's like when you're in such a high vibrational state, when you reach that climax, that's the best place to like send a little thought out there for your next income goal. Like, wait, 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 wait. What do you, what do you mean? So you go to your climax state and then you're like, oh, I want a new car next year and it's going to be white and this and this and this. From yeah, my- like focus on it. Put the <laughs> images in your head while it's happening because like vibrationally is super aligned. Yeah. Uh, okay. That has yep. be some science behind that, I am sure. The first time I taught on that was in a group for women and men and it was, yeah, it was interesting to see the DMs like, hey, guess what we tried and guess what happened? And 24 hours later, this came into our life. I'm like, it works. So the men are usually more excited to try it than the women are, but it is good. It's a very powerful technique. Excellent. That is very intriguing. And I think a lot of people will have a lot of questions about that. (laughs) Another podcast, another time. Thank you. Thank you so much for today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Shona. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.